Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you for tuning into yet another installment of this little podcast. And in this week, we are beyond honored to have the guests that we have in store. I I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of nerding out right now, and our guest is uh, having a couple technical difficulties right now, but she'll be here in just a minute. But uh, so yeah, give me a second to introduce her. You you've seen her in any number of films over the past forty years, whether it was. Um, Nighthawks or when she was on Days of Our Lives for a couple of years or or in 1984 when I was introduced to her when she was in The Last Starfighter and then Night of the Comet or a few years later when she was in Weekend at Bernie's and it goes on and on and on. Uh, 1987's Dudes. I mean, she's been in just a ton, a ton of stuff. So I'm really excited. We've got Catherine Mary Stewart and she is just logging in. So uh, let's get this party started. So without further ado, here's Catherine Mary Stewart. Hey. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm sorry I'm late. No worries. No worries at all. Just just hanging out, all that fun stuff. How's it going? <laughs> Everything's going well. How about you? Doing wonderful, wonderful. Congratulations. I saw that you got your your second your second shot or vaccination. I did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah. Did you have any uh, any weird symptoms or anything? You, you hear like people with like these horror stories, like when you get that second that second vaccination that people are like experiencing different things. Did you have anything like that? Um, the first vaccination was Pfizer and my husband got Moderna and he had side effects, mm. the first one and the second one. And so I was panicked because I thought, oh man, I, we both had shingles shots as well. And I was in bed for like two days, mm -hmm. just sick as a dog. And he had no symptoms. So that's what you, this is what we do when we get old. We just get, you know, shot all the time. <laughs> Um, so I was really nervous when I went to get my uh, first Pfizer shot and there was nothing, zero side effects. The second one, I just kind of felt tired and my arm was a little achy. So I just kind of took a nap and I was fine. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge relief because I went into it thinking, oh, I am so doomed in this. But so I recommend Pfizer. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. So I've had my first and I'm, yeah, no, it was Pfizer. I'm like, it wasn't Johnson Johnson, which today everybody's heard that, you know, kind of weird news. Yeah. But yeah. And I haven't had Moderna. So yeah. Yeah. My shot was, was Pfizer. Mm -hmm. How did you react to that? Fine. Absolutely fine. My, my, my wife was a little bit lethargic after it, but right. no, no issues or anything. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's, it's. Yeah there's this idea of hope that, you know, yeah. at some point this year, there's going to be a little bit of some type of normalcy. And it's funny for like the 10,000th time uh, of my life, I was watching Night of the Common and just, it, it just, <laughs> it felt like a very, very like perfect film for the pandemic last year. Right. I know. Like there was nobody on the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people actually did compare the pandemic to Night of the Coffee. Right. There are some, some similarities somehow. Yay. <laughs> I'm a part of history in two different ways. Yes. Yes, exactly. 
But again, uh, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And I'm really excited because of the fact that we'll obviously get to speak with you, but the whole, the whole idea of this podcast started as a result of the pandemic being around. I was watching a lot of movies. Many of them are movies that I had seen. And so I launched a podcast to talk to people about what they were watching. But as it's kind of evolved, I've, I've gotten a little bit tired of watching their movies and I want to go back and watch my movies and, uh, and, and reach out to the people that <laughs> I enjoyed watching in all these films. And so personally, I, I think of the year 1984, and that's like the earliest year that I that I remember going to see a movie. Like the first movie that I saw in the movie theater was Ghostbusters, uh, or like the first movie I remember seeing was Ghostbusters, and the very first drive-in movie I ever saw was The Last Starfighter. So, oh wow, so it's cool. uh, really cool to be able to talk to you about about The Last Starfighter. And so, obviously, that movie was released in 1984, but when when did you shoot it? And if you can tell me a little bit about about that experience of uh, filming The Last Starfighter. Yeah, we, I, so I guess we shot it um, in 1983. Um, I, I don't really remember the time of year, frankly. It was in California, so there are no seasons there. <laughs> Where are you, by the way? I'm curious. in Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Um, yeah, so it's like, for instance, Night of the Comet was shot around Christmas, but it doesn't really occur to me that it's a Christmas kind of movie, but anyway, that's another conversation. So yeah, I guess we shot it in 83. Um, and uh, I was also at the same time I was on days of our lives. So I was cast in the last Starfighter while I was still on days of our lives. So that was sort of an interesting um, time because Although they were sort of like my character wasn't as busy, um, I was shooting sometimes during the day on Days of Our Lives, and then at night, you know, I did a lot of night shooting on the Last Starfighter. I drive out to Antelope Valley and shoot um, all night long, so that was that was interesting. That was an interesting busy time, but um, really fun, really fun. You know, this little movie um, was just kind of it was you know. The the brat pack was sort of big. They were really coming into their own at that time, and everybody was. I remember going to the audition and all the regular faces. You know, you'd see uh, Ali Sheedy, Eric Stoltz, uh, all of those kind of people at this audition. Um, and I really, I I hadn't been in Los Angeles for very long, and I hadn't really made a name for myself. So the audition process was. I mean, I'd done tons of auditions, so I wasn't like nervous, but I recognized everybody else in the room. And so when I was called back, um, I was put with Lance Guest and apparent and and we like hit it off right away. This is I'm giving you from the audition process on. Um, we sort of got he was a very, very serious, focused actor and he wanted to, you know, go into the hallway and practice our lines and a little I, I'm much sort of looser than that. <laughs> but it was fine. It's perfectly fine. Being loose, I can, you know, do pretty much whatever is required of me, frankly. So yeah, we we um we went into the hallway and we practiced our lines. And then basically they had us come into the this office and they wanted us to sort of do, it was kind of like a beside the lake scene, but it wasn't the scene you see in, in The Last Starfighter. It was more like just improvising and looking up at the stars and, and you know, just kind of 
testing our relationship, I guess, or how well we got along. Um, and they liked the idea that we weren't super well known. Um, Lance had done more work than I had, but um, in in Los Angeles, but uh, they they kind of dug our chemistry and the fact that we were somewhat unknown. Uh, so we ended up getting the role, which was fantastic. Um, you know, he and I met a few times to just kind of like really feel ourselves out and feel the characters out and all that other stuff. And what's so beautiful about The Last Starfighter is it really is this sort of small, not a huge budget, just a kind of labor of love kind of a movie. You know, Nick Castle, the director, uh, was just so lovely to work with. I think he really likes, we were kids basically, he really likes that. And he was very sweet and, and kind of gentle with us. Everybody was, I mean, from the producer, the DP, everybody. It was just a lovely, sweet set to be on. And of course, then we had these, this incredible cast with Robert Preston and Dana Hurley. Uh, um, I never actually worked directly with Robert Preston, sadly. And the only scene I had with Dana Hurley was when they landed back in the trailer park and I met him. Um, but they were just, I mean, they were, they were perfect. In fact, the role that Robert Preston played was written for him. Mm. sort of in the the music man kind yeah. of character. Um, I just remember enjoying every moment on the set. You know, um, it, it was hard because it was a lot of night shooting and I hate night shooting. My body hates night shooting. <laughs> it never adjusts somehow. But, um, but having said that, it, it just was a lovely experience for me. And I had the, I was lucky enough to just kind of come in and leave and then come back and just enjoy, you know, not the day after day, night shooting killer schedule. So it was, it was wonderful. You, you mentioned Robert Preston. I really didn't want to try to get into a, what was it like working with this person? What was it like working with that person? Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of boring, but it's so, I mean, it, it's so incredible and it's you know, unfortunate you two didn't have a scene, but were you familiar mm. with this work? You had a background in theater, correct? Or um, well, I started in dance. Okay, dance. Um, yeah. So, but oh, I was absolutely familiar with Robert Preston. You know, from the Music Man up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I'm, I think Victor Victoria was around that time as well. But no, I mean, every, yes, I was totally aware of who uh, Robert Preston was. Um, but I did, I did get to meet him. Um, we were doing some pickup shots and reshoots and stuff like that at, at the uh, studio um, after the, you know, the shoot was over. Um, they brought us back for these things. And um, he had been shooting something in the morning. And I think I was scheduled for the afternoon. And I showed up on the set and he was still there. He was on his way out, actually. And, and I was introduced to him. And oh, he just it, he he is exactly what you would have thought mm-hmm. he was. He just kind of glowed and he had that twinkle in his eye and he was super charming. And he took my hand and he kissed it. And he said, it's a pleasure to meet you. And I just basically swooned, you know, <laughs> I, I thought I'm never washing my hand again. Um, 
so uh yeah that so i was so grateful to have met him mm -hmm. yeah wonderful wonderful I, li I like to hear that now when i think about the last starfighter i mean there's so many things that really go back to but 1984 i mean at that point there had been a lot of sci-fi adventure films and everything and then you had all these the 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 era of steven spielberg movies and suburbia and like uh, kids living in, in suburban homes and I, I don't know if i can recall another film that actually took place in a trailer park and i think that was just right. kind of an interesting an interesting take on it and i was just wondering if you can tell me a little bit about about maggie and how you how, how you saw her you know as this girl that was growing up in in a trailer park and what other than taking care of her grandmother, who, what did she want? Like, what were, you know, how did you, how did you really find her? First of all, it was such a lovely character to play. Uh, I think that Maggie was pretty initially sort of nervous about, she, the trailer park was her comfort zone. You know, this is where she'd grown up. She has her boyfriend, she has her friends, they have the lake. I mean, for her, it's sort of an idyllic uh, childhood and, you know, teenhood, I guess. And she hadn't really thought in terms of expanding beyond that. Um, you know, she, you know, her excuse not to leave there is, well, who's gonna look after granny? You know, I think that sort of says a lot about Maggie. Um, and, um, uh, Alex, you know, Lance guest character, of course, he just, he just really just wants to get out of there. So it's an interesting dynamic, you know, that hadn't really been thought through very deeply from Maggie's perspective. And I, I, but I think it's typical of, of kids that age, you know, you're graduating from high school and it, there's so much pressure, especially nowadays, to kind of figure out what it is you're going to do next. And, you know, Alex's character is like, I, I just want to get out of here. And I don't, I think most of the people in the trailer park just are happy being there. I mean, it really was a lovely, cute little sweet place. And uh, everybody was really happy. It was almost, you know, cartoon-like mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in the way it was set up and bright colors and like, you know, the little wind things yeah. and uh, the characters, you know, all the characters. I don't think Maggie had thought beyond graduating from high school and probably the local college, mm -hmm. which everybody else was perfectly happy doing. Uh, but what's so wonderful is that, you know, Alex taught her to see the world in a broader perspective and a more dimensional. And it's a little extreme perhaps uh, being introduced to outer space, but it's kind of, it's sort of sweet how she, she hesitates. And then it's like, it's like as if she's considering going on a camping trip right. or something. <laughs> And she she looks at her granny. Is is it okay if I go up into this, you know, spaceship into outer space and fight this, you know, galactic war with my boyfriend? <laughs> oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> so, but what's lovely about the characters in in the Last Starfighter is, and I think that this helps keep it, you know. It, 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 it endures to this day is that the characters are so relatable. I mean, 
even to every kid goes through what these kids go and they have forever. It's not like in the 80s, you know, teenage kids felt differently. It's, it's such a bizarre transitional time for kids. And to be able to watch yourself on screen and relate to these characters um, is huge. It's They're not superheroes. They're not in outer space somewhere. They are just real down to earth, pretty simple characters that we can all relate to. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that's so sweet about these people were like the the highlight of a, a regular evening is watching a kid break a record on a video game. And <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just kind of fun. And obviously video games play an interesting role in not just this one, but it's just also something that's kind of connected even in Night of the Comet, where one of the earliest shots in the film, where obviously in Last Starfighter, it's Alex playing a video game in Night of the Comet. It's you playing a video game. So, yes. Yeah. They were they were big in those days, you know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of, you could uh, use those uh, little manipulations very well right. in the 80s. Yeah. And again, very relatable. You know, so many kids were playing these games. And and so that was just another kind of tag for um, being able to really, really uh, um sort of lure in uh, this particular audience. Yeah. Now, when when I think about like Night of the Comet, I, it's just so fun to think of how you go from from Maggie to, to Reggie, quite frankly, you know? So you go from the girlfriend to like this badass with a machine gun and a motorcycle. So you just see kind of like your, uh, even though these are characters, just to see um, just you in two completely different roles that came out around around the same time in the same year. Mm-hmm. And yeah. obviously for, you know, uh, if, you, if I w- I'd love to hear a little bit about, about that experience on Night of the Comet. I've got a ton of questions I would love to ask about that film, mm-hmm. but what, what I'm interested in is because Night of the Comet is not quite a zombie movie and it's not quite a... Uh, a take on on Valley Girls, and it's not quite a B horror film, but there's elements of all these different things, and it's just a really fascinating, fascinating film that has just taken on just an incredible life over time. And obviously, Last Starfighter has has had you know monumental success, but Night of the Comet was a movie that was made with. You mentioned that Last Starfighter had a pretty small budget. From what I my research, Night of the Comet had like no budget. And yeah, yeah. I was just kind of, uh, it was under a million. And yeah. the number I hear over and over again is 700,000. So obviously I wasn't getting a lot of money for it. Right. <laughs> but no, I mean, um, yeah, it's amazing uh, what they did with such a small budget. Um, yeah. One of the reasons I liked the character of Reggie is because she's so different from Maggie. Um, I am, was sort of, in my short career at that time, I, I pretty much always played the girl next door, you know, the kind of innocent, sweet girl next door person. And uh, when this character came along um, to audition for, I was very attracted to it for that reason, because in fact, I'm more tomboy that I'm, it's, it's more of a stretch for me to play the girl next door than it is to play Reggie. Um, there's no question, but I also just really wanted to uh, play around with that, that kind of character. Um, Yeah. So uh, that was, that was really super fun Uh, in terms of the, the movie itself, Tom Eberhardt 
wrote and directed this movie. And he's always had a fascination with sort of these apocalyptic kind of, you know, movies where something horrible happens and there's one or two people left on earth um, and how they deal with it and whatnot. So part of his research was like literally interviewing teenage girls and say, okay, this is the scenario. You know, this comet has passed over the earth. Everyone's turned to dust. There's these, you know, zombies out to kill you. How would you react to that? And they were like, fantastic. Our parents turned around. That's, oh my God, we totally hit them all. And all this other stuff. And that's where it came from was from his interviews, his legitimate interviews with teenage girls and how they would react to like the end of the world. (laughs) Yet they survived, you know? So, um, and and the other thing that's really wonderful about Night of the Comet is it's not really a zombie movie or a horror movie. It's very much tongue in cheek. And that was absolutely deliberate. Um, And in fact, while we were shooting it, they, Tom Everhart and the producers kind of butt heads about that because the producers saw it more as a horror genre zombie movie. And Tom had to fight them on that. And oftentimes we uh, shot scenes two different ways. One much scarier and, and then the way Tom really intended it to be. And, and fortunately, I think it, um, it, he won out in the end because that's what makes Night of the Comet unique. I mean, otherwise it's just another genre zombie movie. Um, so I'm I'm really grateful for that. And also that was one of the, another thing that attracted me to the script is that it was a little unusual, you know? And I mean, two female protagonists that could actually look after themselves and survive, you know, <laughs> shocking. Um, so, and that has kind of sustained it over the years as well. So many, you know, at conventions and things like that, so many people will come up to me, men and women. Well, I'll start with the women who are so inspired by, you know, strong females who can look after themselves and guys who are like, you know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of a turn on, whatever it is. It, they sort of break this the fallacy that, uh, you know, it won't be interesting for a male audience to watch a couple of female protagonists. That's just, that's just somebody in Hollywood saying junk that really has no validity whatsoever. So um, um, hopefully, you know, I, I love that, that that is the case of this movie. Um, and you know, it really does. It makes a statement in, on that level too. Absolutely. You, you you mentioned the fact that you have like two uh, female protagonists, and that's how this movie was brought to my attention. My I have I have two older sisters, and my immediate older sister, she wasn't really big into scary films or anything like that. But I must have been I don't know eight nine years old when I saw Night of the Comet, and it was a movie that she was excited about. She's like. Mm-hmm. All right. I know that you're into this, this scary shit, pardon my French, uh, but you know, you have to, <laughs> have to, you have to see this. And yeah. So I guess it would have been like 1987, 88 when I was introduced to it. And mm-hmm. that was something that was, that was 
important to my sister to see that type of representation on screen to see that that women could be badass you know saver saviors of the earth too and that that's cool because i mean that wasn't really a trope that you saw a lot in certainly not in the 80s and mm-hmm. i mean so that the movie has a place in history just in that respect which i think is really cool and you're forever associated with that so yeah now yeah, yeah. i'm i'm proud of that yeah for sure and but I, I I guess I'm one of the things I'm curious is why why do you think that neither comment and uh, obviously to the same kind of extent, the last Starfighter, these are movies that because people that love these movies really, really love these movies, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you throw out this term like uh, um like a like a cult classic and i don't know it for me whenever <laughs> i hear cult classic it it almost has like a like a four letter like connotation to it because yeah. I, I just always think of these movies as just classics you know or just masterpieces that but what i'm curious is why do you think that these two movies specifically have resonated with audiences for such a long time i mean it's 2021 i mean we're you know well over 30 some odd years and these <sighs> When you look at just the other films that came out in 1984, people are still talking about Last Starfighter and they're talking about Night of the Comet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, you know, you shoot a film and then you go on, you move on to the next thing. And a lot of people ask me that question. Did you know that it was going to be blah, blah in 30 years, that it was going to be even more popular when I'm like, <laughs> Um, no, <laughs> how would I know that? First of all, but also you just don't think about that stuff. And so you just have to sort of, I mean, try to figure out some reason for it. I mean, I think there's lots and lots of different reasons. I've heard lots of people say different things. Um, you know, the fact that at that time, uh, you could get it on VHS. And a lot of times, like a single parent or parents or whatever who were working and their kids came home from school, this would be like a babysitter. They'd just put the tape in again, you know, and you could just watch it over and over and over again. I hear that a lot. Um, So it has an impact on them in terms of their childhood. And it's something that's very familiar with them. I think it also goes back to the fact that the characters are relatable. You know, they're not, um, they're not uh, some crazy unattainable thing that you can't possibly reach for. They're just really real human beings that you can identify with um, as a kid, you know, and, and except that they live in this larger than life sort of existence, but that's what, movies and entertainment are um so for i also think maybe it's that like you mentioned like the first drive-in that you went to was night of the comet did you say no last starfighter last excuse me last starfighter it's like that has an impact when you get to go to a movie we all remember the first movie that we saw we all remember it um in my case (laughs) I think it was a movie called Hot Millions or something <laughs> that my parents just wanted to go see. And I guess they didn't have a babysitter. It was just, it was an adult movie. I I, I have no idea what it was about. I, mean, I also went, went to 2001, A Space Odyssey in the movie theater. And I was just like, 
I, I was a kid, you know, <laughs> I was like seven or something. And I was like, what is it? The only part that I liked was the apes at the very end, because I was like, oh, it's apes. I had no idea why, why they were there, you know. So, but if you see a movie that you can relate to and has a positive impact on you, it's it's stuck with you forever. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons for it, too. I uh, not to segue, but I just went and saw a movie for like the first time. Well, went to a theater and saw a movie for the first time since before the the world ended uh, last year. And I, I just saw Lawrence of Arabia on, on 70 millimeter on a big screen. And oh my lord, you know, I had I had seen it on television, you know, uh, but to to see something like that on the big screen and in like a 70 millimeter format, it was. It was incredible. And I think there is obviously I something, bet it was. I think there's just something about, about, yeah, experiencing these movies on a big screen. And that that's one of those things that helps give a movie life. If you're, if you're fortunate now, unfortunately there have been other great movies that for whatever reason, they, they have a very small success or very limited uh, showing mm-hmm. in a movie theater where it's out on a weekend, then, then it's gone and movies are kind of like mm-hmm. forgotten, but but I don't know. It's it's just something that I always find interesting. Another another thought that I had, and I, I don't know if other people can relate to it, but it it's still very subtle. But you notice it in the last Starfighter and Night of the Comet, which is kind of that idea of like this this absent father. And for a lot of us growing up in the eighties, and obviously those grew up in the seventies and sixties experienced it, but that whole idea of separated parents and, you know, uh, being divorced. I mean, just having an absent parent was something that was really, really commonly shown. Uh, at least uh, it, there was this form of representation on, on, on in screen to actually see that. And both of these movies have it, and even though they don't necessarily talk about it, like on the surface, maybe a little bit more so in Night of the Comet, but you, you still get that idea of, of these kids being, raised without a father, which I think mm. is something that that I think the 80s were starting to talk a little bit about. I don't know. I don't know. Just something that just came into my head. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. You know, it's it's so funny because that that's kind of obvious in the movie. I mean, I have no parents. I've got a granny. Um, and um, Lance's character has his single mom, although when he's flipping, showing pictures, he does show his father. Right, I don't right. think he even explains what happened mm-hmm. to him. That's very, that's very interesting. And of course, in Night of the Comet, you know, he's in Sandinista or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's supposed to be doing, um, yeah, the man, the evil kind of stepmom. Um yeah, they're interesting. That's very interesting. And I would suspect that once again, you know, this is probably something people related to, um, kids related to, and and maybe they weren't exposed to often mm-hmm. in movies. So that's a very interesting point, which it's actually weird that I'd never really talked about that or thought about it before. Well, yeah. If uh, if anything comes out of this, then you know there there there's that. I know that you've probably <laughs> talked about this movie and these movies forever. So uh, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that that small victory. Yeah, that that one's you. That's you. You got a point. <laughs> um, before we before we wrap up, I I just wanted to touch base because I think it was just so fun just watching an interview and you talking that 
on one one day of the shooting for Night of the Comet, you and Kelly Maroney both like you guys did your own makeup because you didn't have the the makeup artist that day. Yeah, he just didn't show up. It was just like <laughs> we get there and we're all waiting, and it's like an hour later and everything, and we're no, oh, he still hasn't shown up. And and finally, I just I just said. I can do this. I mean, I know how to do my own makeup. And, and also I had that sort of perma uh, perm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it really was not a lot of work to get that big thing. Um, so we ended up just doing our own makeup that day. Uh, and he showed up the next day. It was, I don't know what had happened. I forget, but it's, it's something probably about partying <laughs> 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 the night before. And it also, we had a weird shooting schedule. So it might've been like a weekend or, you know, when we shot in downtown um, LA, it was Christmas morning or something ridiculous. So it, it, it might've been like, normally no one was working, but anyway, at any rate, it, it turned out fine and, and he was fine. And it, I mean, it, it would be interesting to see if you looked close enough to see if the makeup was different. But at that time we've been doing it right. for a couple of weeks or something. So it was, it was funny, but yeah. Now you, you obviously shot several scenes like externally in, in LA, but how were you guys able to film like out those outside shots and it look completely desolate? How were you able to get that? I mean, that's, that's again, the, the film had very, very small budget and how are you able to, be able to get that type of those those type of shots without LA essentially being LA. Mm. Well, that was it in night that was 1983 or 84, whatever it was. Um and downtown LA was basically barren, uh, especially on weekends. It was, uh, you know, there were banks and there were hotels and places for people to fly in for important meetings or whatever. There was Skid Row. But, but L.A. in those days was basically deserted, especially when we shot. Um, and so you could never, ever do that again. I mean... It's astonishing. There's so many people now. It's a cool place to live. So it's it's hugely populated now. And I just and ton. Well, the traffic there is just crazy. But that is one thing that occurred to me not too long ago. Actually, we would never be able to duplicate that again. We didn't have a budget for a bunch of cops stopping cars on every corner or anything like that. In fact, apparently. On, in one of the scenes where I'm driving through downtown LA on my motorcycle, if you carefully look in the background, it, it, one of the intersections, a car kind of pulls out a little bit. Um, I, I've never actually been able to find that. So I'm not sure if it's like, you know, sort of a tale from the movie making or something, but, um, uh, but there was literally nobody there. So it, it wasn't a, an issue. But again, that kind of makes it sort of cool because you could never do that unless you have a multi-million dollar budget, you know, to be able to stop traffic for a shot, mm -hmm. which we did not have. So, And a friend of mine wanted me to get confirmation, but mm -hmm. I, I just have to ask. So stunt double or did you ride any, did you ride the motorcycle at all? <laughs> I did ride the motorcycle stationary on the back of a, uh, a, a 
a trailer that was right. attached to the the um, camera car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, <laughs> I looked pretty good though, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you, you look natural. You look natural. <laughs> but they shot it kind of low, so you couldn't see mm-hmm. that I actually wasn't wasn't uh, riding it. And in fact, a stunt person, the shot that you see me leaving the back alley after um, fighting with the zombie, that was a stunt double. Yeah I, yeah, I didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. What type of bike was it? Do you recall? Oh, I have no idea. Zero. <laughs> I have That's no okay. clue. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, I know we're, we're wrapping up, but I, I just, I have to ask. So completely unrelated, but you, you read a script about, about two coworkers lugging around a dead body like, for a weekend. <laughs> what, what do you think of this script when, I mean, oh. it's, is it probably the most out, uh, just outlandish kind of script at that time that you would have read? I mean, I mean it, it's, when you think about the premise of Weekend at Bernie's, it's just so, it's so out there. And yet I remember seeing it on opening night and loving it and watching it like the following week. And just a movie that as a kid, I watched, I think on VHS all the time. Right. And it's just such a, when you just look back at it, it's just such an odd, crazy premise to a plot, but I'm I'm just kind of fascinated just to. Yeah, it's um, yeah. So when I was, uh, you know, going up for this audition, I thought, oh, this is great. A comedy. I haven't done comedy and I want to do that again. You know, you look at the character and you think um, how interesting is it to you and whatnot. So, but ha- reading through it, I thought, yeah, this is, this is weird. This is, sort of weird. It was when I got to the point of Bernie being dragged behind the motorboat and slamming into the buoys and hearing this big clang, I thought, oh, that is just horrible. It's horrible. I thought, this is not funny. You know, I thought the rest of the script was pretty funny going along. And I was like, oh, I was horrified. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I wanted to be involved with the movie because I, I knew who was involved with it. And um, it would have been a great step for me in, as, in terms of my career. So I definitely auditioned for it. But I thought, oh, I don't know how that's going to work, man. How would anybody laugh at that? Um, well, I was wrong. People think that's hilarious. Um, Biggest laugh in the theater when I saw it. It's hilarious. And, and, you know, I I get it. But it's a very, um, it's sort of one of those male sophomoric comedies, you know. I find that that same sort of Will Ferrell genre. But it kind of came later, which I think maybe... I think maybe the Three Stooges kind of introduced that sort of physical humor, silly physical humor, uh, which I also, guys love and are hysterical about. They just, they watch, you know, uh, the Three Stooges and just can't, just think it's the most hysterical thing. And I'm like, uh, I don't get it. It's sort of in the same, um, you know, sort of the same genre as that, I think. Uh, it's just so silly and over the top. I think especially men like that or males like that kind of right. stuff. 
but it 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 has endured and and has such a massive fan base and it's yeah. referenced <laughs> all the time the first time mm-hmm. i think might have been on friends remember it was joey's favorite movie which was sort of funny because everybody knows how silly it is it's referenced all the time the most recent yeah. was my husband it had me play some i don't know it was a it was it's something on on the internet uh an interview about a murder that they compared to what is this weekend of burnings because some woman was pretending her husband was still alive when he was dead um it's so it's incredible and um such a fun movie and i was so happy to be a part of that as well yeah so thank you for uh for for being in all three of these movies i've again i've 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 loved, I've grown up watching these movies and I still watch them today. Um, Thank you. That's. I did it just for you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate I, it. You know, I knew one day I'm going to talk to you and mm-hmm. I better be in these movies. So these are the ones we exactly. can talk about. Yeah, this, this really <laughs> weird guy is going to ask me about these movies from forever. So I, I got to, I got to, I got to do it. I got to be there. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, I just wanted to touch base and just kind of say hello and say thank you um, you know, for for providing myself and many, many, many other people just countless hours of bullshit at this point, decades uh, of entertainment. <laughs> oh <No>, boy! <laughs> and um, what's next for you? You know, I mean, what what are you doing? How are you keeping busy? Yeah, well, it's been interesting this whole pandemic thing because obviously the business sort of shut down completely. I do a lot of. Um, Ugh, you know, self tape auditions. And we've had to learn how to kind of like set up our own studio in our home. So which it, it kind of it, as we go on, it, it gets easier and easier. But at first, it's just like, oh, man, I have to figure out lighting, I have to figure out backdrops, I have to figure out zoom, <laughs> all that stuff, which it's been a bumpy road in terms of auditioning and whatnot. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they go back to in-person auditions eventually because I, I'm much more comfortable in that sort of arena. But um, I've, it's given me a chance also to focus on writing. And I have a script that I've written with my partner and it's been optioned. Wonderful. So we're basically rewriting right now. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I've, I have a couple of scripts that I've over the years, I, as it turns out, I like writing. I don't, I never expected that, but I really kind of enjoy it. Um, I've been doing that. I want to, this, this project that's been optioned, I would not only play the lead role, but direct as well. Um, which is also something I really want to get into more. I I've done a little bit of it and I just love it. I love it. Um, and I also have a play that I want to bring into production, but of course that we were sort of working on or developing and then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So that's all sort of also has been put on hold, but it's still kind of, you know, we're, uh, so it's all about navigating the pandemic. And so yeah. what do you do with these projects that you're, you know, are on the go? Um, a lot of people in terms of theater, you know, we'll do online readings and invite people to watch the the readings. And um, it, it's not quite the same as being in the theater, but it at least 
keeps you sort of motivated and keeps things rolling. So I've, I've actually been as busy as I've ever been, frankly, um, more kind of at home. I like to, I miss, I used, I miss traveling. I, I would go every year to LA for a few months anyway, just to keep things going there. But, you know, now we've discovered from the pandemic that you you don't even really need to go places right. anymore. Right. You just have to figure out how to keep in touch with people in this new world that we're living in. Um, but I'm actually uh, going to, uh, in June, I'm going to Los Angeles for a film festival that features Night of the Comet. It's uh, the Zeitgeist Feed uh, uh, film festival, and the um, theme is LA Apocalypse. And Ooh. our Night of the Comet is featured. Uh, Kelly Maroney and I will um, show up for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be there for the entire film festival. There's like a, over a hundred films. Penelope Sparris will also be there. She directed me in Dudes. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know that movie, mm-hmm. Dudes. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of the movie that, you know, she's done some incredible movies um i'm i'm blanking on the movie that she's going to be talking about that's screening right now but you go to zeitgeistfilms.org uh, um it's june 3rd through well june 4th through the 6th um in huntington beach so i'm going out for that and then i'm going to stay another 10 days or so in la but yeah that's a that's a that's exciting i'm really excited for that yeah so that's that's my latest thing that i'm doing um well i actually have been signed up for a, a little movie in um in new york north of here in may that i will have a small role in with a friend of mine so i'm excited about that too yeah. just to start moving around a little bit and actually doing some work and getting outside of this room, which is my office, my studio, my just everything room right now. Right. Um, Where else in New York are you? Um, I'm in Manhattan. Okay. In, uh, yeah, I'm in Battery Park City, downtown. Awesome. So it, it's, it's actually a really lovely place. We're close to the river. So uh, I get outside as much as I can and just, try to stay sane. (laughs) Yeah. Do you ever get back to, uh, Alberta? Um, yes. Uh, I was in Alberta a couple of years ago. My brother, uh, is the CEO and and president of this uh, place called, uh, Two, let's see, Twos. It's a science center, or Mm -hmm. as he says, Tusi. That's how it's spelled. Um, it's a science center in Edmonton, Alberta, my hometown. Um, uh, he did a screening of the last starfighter. He, the, he decided it, he was fairly new to his position and he was going to do like a film festival, a sign of sci-fi movies. And the very first movie that he screened was the last starfighter. So Lance Guest and I flew up there and had an audience and a Q and a, and, uh, you know, a signing thing afterwards, which was super fun. Um, I, I, when I go to Canada, mostly I go to the West Coast to north of Vancouver, um, where my dad and my mom were living. But sadly, they've both passed away now. So um, I was there in December, but um, my bro- I have a brother there too. 
Yeah. And Canada is really, really tight in mm-hmm. terms of people traveling back and forth. I have a Canadian passport, so they let me in. But, you you know, you have to quarantine for two weeks yeah. when you get there and then you have to quarantine two, two weeks coming back. So um, I probably won't be going up again until, you know, things are much more under control. But hopefully, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah. I know. I think that it's just astonishing, isn't it, how long this has been going on for? Who who would have thought it? Yeah. Boy, not me. I was like, oh, you know, people will be fine. And and I don't see it ending anytime soon. It'll it'll maybe whimper away eventually, mm. but uh but it's uh, you know, it's hanging in there, man. It's a tough one. Yeah. So we've got to be patient and, and, and do whatever it is we can to get through this and not ignore it, you know, yeah. Yeah. don't make it political. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All that stuff. Yeah. Um, we we're in it together. You've yeah. got to be. And very, very last question, softball question for you. What's your favorite okay. or what is your favorite comfort movie? Yeah, and this is a whole thing where I, I talk to people about their favorite movies. So I, I have to know, what do you like to watch? Or what movie um, makes you feel good? Uh, there, there are many. The last one that I just loved watching again, which I hadn't seen for years and years, uh, was Sounder with uh, Cecily Tyson, who mm. who just passed away. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of this movie that, she was so brilliant in and was such a beautiful movie. And I remember seeing it as a kid and just being blown away by it. Um, so I, I, that gave me so much joy watching that because I just thought it was an incredible, beautiful movie. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to yeah. have to check that one. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen it. Sounder. You must. It's classic. Yeah. Cicely Tyson is just so brilliant in it. It, it takes place in their sharecroppers. It's mm-hmm. that era. Mm-hmm. But it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. And so authentic and and no beating around the bush about anything. And uh, beautiful. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to, I'm going to check that one out. All right. Yeah. All right. My dear, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been completely unreal and I'm so, so <laughs> appreciative of it. So again, Catherine Mary Stewart, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, thank you. And say hi to your wife for me. I will. I will. Yeah. She's uh, downstairs wrangling up our three-year-old right now. Oh boy. That's yeah. a lot of wrangling. I know. I know. So <laughs> Well, it, it's uh, it gets better and better. You know what it does? It gets better. And then just when you're at the point where you're like, this three-year-old's driving me crazy, they change. Mm-hmm. It's like it's something built into little uh, children where it's when you're right on the cusp of just like exploding, they become something a little bit different. Right. That's how they survive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Both my kids are like grown and out of college and um, graduate school and they they're leading their own lives. And we're so, Oh, we're so proud of them. They're just brilliant human beings. We were, yeah, it's really amazing how also looking back in retrospect um 
it, it in those early years, it feels like it sort of drags along. They're cute and everything, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're grown up and you're like, and I know you've heard this a billion times. Everybody says it, but when you're going through it, you're like, yeah, whatever. But honest to God, it, it's like, what happened? What happened? My children were babies and now they're like living their own lives. It, it, so I'm just, I guess my point is enjoy every moment of it and just know that one day you're going to go, holy, I'm not going to say the F word, not good. <laughs> holy fuck. <laughs> what happened? Um, but fortunately, we're, our kids are just incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And she, I mean, she's batshit crazy, but she's wonderful. She's, she's, <laughs> she's so much fun. She's a lot of fun. Good. So, yeah. <laughs> it's the batshit crazy phase. <laughs> Terrible twos, batshit crazy threes. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Enjoy though. All yeah. right. All right. Thanks so much. Really fun. Send me the link and I can't wait to uh, Absolutely. listen to it. And hey, if anybody is interested, they can follow me on Facebook, Catherine Mary Stewart, Facebook page. And I'm on, um, I'm on all of them, Twitter at CMS ALL and uh, Instagram, Catherine Mary Stewart. So yeah, hang in there and say hi to me on the, on the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you all again. Right. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Again, a major, major thanks uh, to Catherine Mary Stewart for taking the time to speak with me. You know, um, we had uh, we had arranged this interview and, you know, I, I told her that we would only bother her for about a half hour. Or so how great was it that, you know, she chatted with us for basically an hour. And uh, admittedly, I had a slew of other questions that I wanted to ask, but I very, very obviously got a little starstruck and uh, completely lost track of the of uh, of the questions I wanted to ask. But again, she was extremely accommodating, and I'm very, very thankful. I do want to take a couple seconds because we've we've got this time, and I want to put you know put a little context into these two movies. And obviously, you know, she's got she has a very extensive. Uh, resume, but these were the two movies I really wanted to talk about. And then obviously uh, got a little opportunity to ask a question about uh, Weekend at Bernie's. So that was a lot of fun. But when when I think of these two movies specifically, Night of the Comet and Last Starfighter, they both came out in the year 1984. And that was a monumental, monumental year in, in Hollywood because like the the like the number one film of the year was Ghostbusters. It made like over $200 million in the box office. And when I say that, it's like 1984 money, right? You know, $200 million in the box office isn't the same thing now. But if you adjust that for inflation, I mean, that's probably over $500 million for Ghostbusters. So a ton, a ton of money. And then uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came, uh, came out that same year. Gremlins, The Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, Beverly Hills Cop. Um... Romancing the Stone, Splash, The Natural, uh, Red Dawn, uh, and then of course uh, Last Starfighter and and um, Night of the Comet. Yeah, so really, really big, big year. Now for that year, The Last Starfighter ranked number twenty six overall 
in in total box office. It it, it made about twenty eight to twenty nine million dollars in the box office. It had less than a fifteen million dollar budget, so it was profitable. Another fun fact about The Last Starfighter was it was one of the first films to kind of incorporate like some uh, computer generated like imagery. Um, Last Starfighter and, of course, Tron were two very early pioneers. A couple little fun facts for the listeners that may or may not uh, know this. But at one point in time, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart was was talking, you know, she made a couple references uh, to the director, Nick Castle. Well, fun fact, if that name sounds familiar, it's because you would have seen him as the, the body in in um, John Carpenter's Halloween. That's right. He played the original Michael Myers, which is which is kind of cool that when she's talking about like how sweet and how nice he is, he uh, that that same guy notoriously played Michael Myers in the original Halloween. So that's kind of funny. Um, obviously, you know, uh Michael Myers is a character and Nick Castle is a real human being, but it's still kind of funny to hear that somebody that was very, very terrifying on screen also is uh, just a, a really, really uh, nice person. So fun little fact on that. Another fun fact about The Last Starfighter is this is a movie that essentially took about four days to write as a screenplay, uh, which I think is really fascinating. From a movie review aspect, so if you go on to Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is very, very positive. Uh, it has a tomato meter of 76, audience score of 69%, so again, very, very respectable. Now, as for Night of the Comet, that too had a, a pretty, really solid uh, critical score. You're looking about 79% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Audience score is a little bit lower at 58%. But I'm sure there's a way that you can probably nuance that, right? Because admittedly, when we were talking about it in the interview, the film doesn't necessarily fit into one specific genre. So for those that went to this movie thinking it might have been a zombie film or for those that thought it might have been like kind of like a little Valley Girl teen movie or kind of like a comedy, it's kind of it kind of mixes those those genres. So it doesn't fit into any one specific bubble. But Again, still critically really, really well. Uh, the New York Times had a very good uh, review on it. Now we were talking about um, in uh, the box office, we, we mentioned all these movies that came out that same year. Now, Night of the Comet had a budget, as we mentioned, around 700000 But from a box office perspective, it made over $14 million. So from a, from, from a profitability aspect, this was a huge, huge success. Uh, what else can I tell you about Night of the Comet? Oh, um, one of the first films to be recognized as a PG-13 rating. So that was a rating system that came out in 1984. So a few of your early pioneer films for that, you had uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Red Dawn, and then of course, Night of the Comet. So just a couple little fun facts that I wanted to get into that I didn't have the opportunity to, or rather I uh, um, got a little, uh, I got a little swoon happy when when Catherine uh, was talking that I, I kind of forgot to ask uh, certain questions that I, that I think might've opened up our conversation a little bit better, but I think it was good. I think it was a good interview. So I'm going to shut up um, again. Thank you. Thank you everybody for, for tuning in to this episode. As always, please tell your friends uh, to check out this podcast Please rate it, review it, listen, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Please follow me on your different social media channels. So whether you're on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, 
what have you. Um, yeah, you can find me. Just look up Stamper Cinema, and there I am. And then that's all I've got. So until next time, we'll see you on another episode of Stamper Cinema. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.